Good Monday morning, Labor Day morning to everybody. This is On Texas Football Today, Coffee and Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning with uh, Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton of On3 and InsideTexas.com. And guys, it's uh, week one in the books, of course, or almost. We have a game tonight. Uh, Sark has a presser at noon. Texas, of course, beats Rice. Alabama handles business. It's now Alabama week. What uh, What y'all thoughts? I, I, I'm glad I'm not Travis Acton. Leeds, Alabama, checking in uh, from rollover tide country. Going to be rocking my crazy. <laughs> uh, tough, tough week to live in Bama if you're a Texas fan now. But that Commerce, Texas, Golden Triangle, I see everybody checking in. It's awesome. Huge week, Rockford, Illinois. Um, Guam, love it. Hey, but look, I, I'm done talking about rice for the most part. Texas has a massive opportunity in front of them. A very difficult task. I, I, I put out a story inside Texas yesterday. This is what Texas is up against, but this also makes it a great opportunity. Alabama 67 and 2 at home since 2013. 67 and 2. 20 and 4 against ranked opponents at Bryant Denny Stadium in the Nick Saban era. In those 24 games, teams have only averaged 18.7 points a game. LSU got him for 46 with the best offense college football scene, right, in the modern era. Um, three of the last four winners at Alabama were Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, and Joe Burrow, Heisman winners. This is a monumental task Texas ha is, ha has in front of them, but what an amazing opportunity for Steve Sarkeesian in this program, Bobby. College game day. People are like, well, is Alabama Stadium that loud, comparative? Oh, it's going to be rocking Saturday night. All right, don't even get it twisted. Texas is coming to town the year before they go to the SEC. Um, this is a huge opportunity for the Texas program, Bobby. Uh, you know, Jerry, my 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 point on this is a little bit a little bit different in that not only is it an opportunity, it's a proving ground. It is right. It's a it's a chance for Texas to prove they belong with where they want to be. We saw what happened last night. Florida State absolutely whipped, whipped LSU in that second yeah. half. 31 unanswered points. Okay. Yeah. That's what Texas wants to be, is taking that next step. Right, guys? This is the Texas opportunity to do that. It didn't come against Rice. Okay. Uh, at the same time, Alabama looked really, really sharp in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. Uh, they they were efficient. Jalen Milrow, I believe, was 18 or, or 8 of 13, rushed for, you know, 50 yards or so. He is a quarterback that Texas is going to have to figure out how to do their best to stop him. Uh, because right now, Jerry and Blake, uh, the Alabama offense was on a roll against Middle Tennessee. They hit the ball deep. They ran the ball effectively. Uh, this is a, a tough Alabama team. It is so different, so, so different than the one we saw in Austin last year that lived and died by the pass. This team is going to live and die by the run. And so Longhorn defensive front, thankfully, uh, Jerry and Blake, if there was a shining spot, there were two of them, actually, in my opinion, uh, against Rice. One was the defensive line absolutely smothering the Rice run game, uh, and the second was the enormous amount of freshmen that played for Texas and got just across the across the board, the depth chart, there wasn't a lot of drop-off 
this is what we've been talking about from the ones to the twos. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Blue, for example, uh, came in and played well in, in, uh, in place of Cedric Baxter. Uh, there are a number of things like that, that that's going to matter uh, as we get going uh, in this uh, in this season. I, I really believe that. We got we got some great questions coming in. Longest horn is this D elite? The Texas D. So, Sark after dark says this is a Jalen Catalong game. I one hundred percent agree with that on Saturday. I, this is a Jalen Catalong Catalong game. I think he'll have some assignments on Jalen Miller. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. Is the Texas defense elite, Bobby? We're going to find out Saturday. They're better than last year, but are they elite? Here's the thing we don't know. They weren't tested against a mobile quarterback, and they weren't tested vertically in coverage. Rice didn't have the capability, the athleticism to do that, or the nor the offensive line to give JT Daniels time to throw the ball down the field. We'll find out if this defense is elite, uh, uh, closer to elite Saturday. And it's a hostile environment. It's tough. But they're playing against a quarterback that can make plays with his feet. Rod Babers loves empty. I guarantee you Bama will run empty against Texas and put Milrow in a position to make a quick decision or use his legs. Um, we're going to find out if the Texas defense answer, answers the call, if they play well against Miller, that doesn't mean he's not going to make plays. He's built like KJ Jefferson. Those guys are going to make plays with their feet. But if Texas covers vertically, then I think they have a chance to be an elite defense. I, I'm, I think they're there. I, I think they're going to be there because I think they have, they have the defensive front uh, to be dominant at times. They, they may not be the best defensive front in the country, don't get me wrong, but they are. They have a chance with the interior guys pushing things outside. Uh, they have a elite linebacker, in my opinion, uh, in Jalen Ford. And then their secondary, Jerry, is just so deep. Uh, Manny Muhammad, what we saw from him on Saturday, uh, is meaningful uh, because Ryan Watts or Terrence Brooks or even Gavin Holmes, one of those guys go down, all of a sudden, he's going to be pressed into even more um, more situations. Uh, Derek Williams providing immediate depth at safety. I didn't think that was going to happen necessarily whenever we started this season off. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, all in all, the Longhorns ready to roll, I, I think, in Tuscaloosa. The issue that we have now is Cedric Baxter going to be available. We don't know that for sure. There have been reports that he's going to be available. But frankly... Uh, that could be, that could be posturing, you know, a uh, DJ Campbell was still hobbled a little bit yesterday, uh, at, after, uh, I think twisting or turning his ankle, uh, in that pile, uh, near the end of the third quarter or near the end of the yeah third quarter when Neto Umiazulu came in for him. So the Longhorns have a couple of injuries, but that's going to happen week to week in college football. No doubt about it. Well, hey, guys, we got some, obviously, a lot of time left for your questions, so please get them in. But we have some comments about some of the other games that went on this week. Of course, we talked about Alabama. Was there anybody else out there that really stood out to you all, maybe a future opponent or just somebody in general? A past opponent. Watch out for Washington. Yeah, they look good. Alan DeBoer is, I think, arguably the best young coach. I mean, Kirby Smart obviously is a year younger, has two national titles. But maybe the guy that hasn't climbed the national ranks or getting the respect nationally he probably deserves, DeBoer is awesome at Washington, guys. And he's got his quarterback back, the guy he recruited to Indiana. 
Then he left Indiana, went to Fresno, led Fresno to a nine-win season immediately. Goes to Washington, leads Washington to an 11-win season immediately. That guy's to be reckoned with in the future of college football as a coach. He's showing way too many signs, and they thump the Boise now. And I know it's not the Boise of old, but they still thump the decent team. Yeah, and they're only like 14-point favorites going yeah, into yeah. the game. Hey, I missed I missed the Dion prediction, but I got the boy. I got the Washington right. <laughs> so I took the heat on. I took the. I also said Baylor wasn't going to be any good this year. I didn't think they were going to be a disaster, though. To be fair, wow. I knew they were taking a step back, talent wise, and rules fast and aggressive players were all out of the program. Um, it was going to be a different program. I didn't think they were going to be a disaster, though. Hey, I got to say this. The remaining Texas teams in the Big 12, not including U of H, who squeaked by UTSA uh, on Saturday. Texas Tech, loss. TCU, loss. Baylor, embarrassed. Embarrassed. Yeah. TCU, Baylor's ready Texas for Tech, Baylor's at, least, ready for at least put up a fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then BYU, they only scored 14 against, uh, great, what was it, Sam, Sam Houston State? Great point, Blake. Great point on BYU, too. That wasn't good. Now, UCF smashed Kent State. They got a quarterback that really fits Malzahn's scheme and is experienced. They have transfer receivers that were at Alabama and some other programs. Um, it, it, the key, and I think they have a good D-line. I, I think I, I think they have some transfers on that front seven at UCF that are good players. UCF will be interesting to watch. K-State won handily. KU scored 48 points. Without their starting quarterback. Yeah. So the KU offense, now they have a great backup in Jason Bean, but the KU offense is legit, guys. Yeah. They return all five starters on the offensive line. Uh, Every skill position returns, et cetera, et cetera. Their question is, once they get into Big 12 play, how are they going to fare on defense? By the way, Oklahoma State didn't look good against Central no. Arkansas. 27 to 13 on 27 that. points against Central Arkansas. I mean, could you imagine Texas fans if you'd scored 27 points against Central Arkansas? <laughs> there'd be you one- imagine Texas fans if you score 37 against Rice. <laughs> if, there'd be, if Texas has scored 27 against Central Arkansas, there'd be three people in this chat, and you're looking at all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like, Hey, Jerry, I, I, you mentioned that, and I, I just come back to think there were no short fields for Texas in that 37-point win. They got, was, they got three turnovers, but there weren't short fields. Great point. Right. I mean, so let's let's keep that in mind a little bit, too. Uh, hey, guys, I want to say thank you to our newest sponsor and welcome to John Donovan, who's president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. In his more than 30 years of practice, John is a certified financial planner has been providing total wealth management services and solutions for his clients. John is a proud UT grad and has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas X's board member. He shares his passion for UT with his wife and his six siblings, all of whom are also UT grads. It's this passion that led John to dedicate his firm to serving fellow UT alums, employees, family, and friends. So to learn how Longhorn Wealth can orchestrate prosperity for you and your loved ones, give John a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. John, we appreciate your sponsorship. I met him up in Dallas a couple of weeks ago at the uh, Texas X event I went and spoke at, Jerry. A good Longhorn uh, for sure. 
Uh, we appreciate him and his uh, sponsorship for the show. All right. Pete, so, Pete, go ahead, Jerry. Had a question about running backs, ranking the running backs after week one. I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah. Um, it's go incomplete ahead. because Cedric Baxter got hurt, and he was obviously about to have a pretty big game. He had, he had he had really good cutback vision in high school, and that was already transitioning very well to the college game. And I think obviously w- when you ask that, people are wondering about Jaden Blue. Look, I'm. Um, I think Jaden Blue's a really good space player. I think he ran hard. He also came into the game when Rice was tired. So it matters. Jaden Blue may get opportunities this week in Tuscaloosa if Cedric Baxter can't go. That's when you can start to judge a guy who hasn't been a guy who runs in between the tackles and is a tackle breaker. Well, Rice I- is not the game to judge him on long term. It's how you do against higher level athletes that can you got to break those arm tackles and make those plays in between the tackles. Hey, Jerry, I want to say this as it relates to Jaden Blue. The one thing I did like about him, he showed patience on a third and six run, a, a lot of patience, and that, that he, he kind of streaked down the left sideline. Additionally, guys, I felt like he did not go down on contact. He ran hard. Now, now he ran hard inside. Now, on to Jerry's point, though, those were 290-pound, 300-pound defensive linemen. He was still getting an extra yard on 220-pound linebackers. Alabama's a different animal, right? So they their defensive line hits you, you go down a lot of right. times. Right. So that's what Jerry – that's the, the small difference between being Cedric Baxter at 225 or if he's eventually 230, right? And where Jaden Blue is at. And so people keep that in mind. But I would definitely rank Jonathan Brooks and, and said Baxter still one, two. Yeah. Uh, I, I still say Keelan Robinson provides this team with a little something. But Jaden Blue, uh, if there was a pleasant surprise on offense Saturday, I think it was Jaden Blue. I think that's, I don't know how you couldn't pick him out of that group. Hey, and hey, by the way, Texas fans are, uh, there's a lot of been a comments last night and, and, and this morning. You know, not a great performance against Rice um, for, par, for at least for half offensively, right? But it's a great week to coach going into a big game. It's a great week to coach. A.D. Mitchell, Gunnar Helm on a fourth and one, both whiffed, essentially, didn't do their assignment. Cost Texas a prize scoring opportunity. Those are very, great coachable points when you still win 37-10. Um, I, I think offensive line, interior offensive line, Great week to coach those guys going up against the best defense Texas will face all season by far in terms of talent. So while it may not have been pleasing to the eye, Texas did win that game. They dominated. I mean, Rice had 100 yards after three quarters. Not a great offensive team, but still 100 yards after three quarters. They dominate up front. And now the Texas staff gets to coach mistakes that are a lot of them are easy, easily correctable. Offensive line, we'll see, entered offensive line. I'm not sure that's easily correctable yet. I'm You're going to have to prove it to me on this one. Uh, but I think some of those, the fourth and one blocking, A.D. Mitchell's maybe lack of blocking, um, uh, what, what that needs to be. Gunnar Helm, maybe lack of blocking at the level they need him to be. Those are, co- those are easily co- easy coaching points this week. No doubt about it. Well, guys, we were talking about the running backs a second ago. So while we're on the subject of rushing, uh, we're going to talk about it from a wide receiver point. Tim Salinas with the Super Chat. Thank you, Tim. He says, Whittington, albeit small sample size, averages 14 and a half yards per rush. As a fifth-year physically developed guy, why isn't he used in jet sweep plays more? 
I, you know, Sark is not a highly high use jet sweep guy. Typically, I mean, he just hasn't been. He's he's used motion to get people that to fake it, but I think they want ran one jet sweep on Saturday, and that was to Worthy early. I don't know that they ran another one. I think that it's a decent question because Whittington is a a good runner after the catch because he can break a tackle as well. Um, against smaller DBs, but Sark is not a huge jet sweep. He's more that orbit motion, throw the ball out there, yeah. as opposed to hand it off behind the line of scrimmage, yeah. which is what a jet sweep really is. Uh, I, I don't think, Tim, so I don't think it's Whittington versus Worthy versus whoever. I just don't think Sark really loves that play. All right, let's take one from the uh, Inside Texas Forums, guys. And let's see here. This is from JMR2573. He says, what specifically is the team doing to prepare for the environment and crowd noise at Alabama? I'm most concerned with the communication between guard, center, and guard. The team was less than assignment sound there this past week, to say the least. Uh, they'll, They'll pipe in noise all week. That's what the, the Sark did last year um, for other games as well. That's what other other coaches do. Um, a lot of hand communications, uh, both on offense and defense, but primarily on offense. Uh, so be looking for that in the game. I'm sure there's going to be some check with me stuff uh, from a co- or from a, a Quinn. Uh, you'll see a lot of hand signals, uh, but that's all they can do. I mean, the, it would be interesting. Because we talked, Jerry and I talked about this. There were coaches during COVID, <laughs> during the COVID year when there was no sound, that literally were better offensive coaches on the road than they've ever been before. Lane yeah. Kiffin was one of them because he could sit out there and yell to his quarterback and tell him what to do. That's not going to be available to Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> in 2023. So uh, in in, uh, in in Tuscaloosa, they're going to have to be smart about it uh, and uh, go about the the right the right business. Hey, about the thing about it on the road in a loud environment, the communication on the offensive line pre-snap is Ooh. everything. It's everything. If there's miscommunications on the offensive line on the road in a hostile environment, you are in trouble unless you have a mobile quarterback who's just going to go make plays uh, in the sandlot. I, I completely agree, Jerry. All right, let's take this question from E. Kim. He says, what offensive options do you see incorporated more for Alabama? More RPO, shorter or intermediate pass plays, empty formation? What would what do y'all think? Well, I can't do Rod Baber's voice, but empty, empty, empty. I know what he's going <laughs> to say Tuesday night, okay, um, on our live stream. Um, I think more RPO, more short intermediate for sure. But here's the issue. If Alabama doesn't respect you deep, it's harder to have be consistently successful in that scenario. That's why Sark is going to press the vertical game. His scheme, he has to press the vertical game. I mean, I, I just don't. Especially, Bobby, especially if Alabama does not respect the run. That's right. So if Alabama thinks they can stop the run with four in the box, right? And I know that's not four. You're like, whoa, what? Four? Well, they'll get their linebackers into passing lanes pretty quickly on RPOs. And you'll see six go the other way. That's what Oklahoma used to do against Texas. Yeah. Um, and Chris Sims would throw it right to him. <laughs> so that's, and that wasn't even RPO per se. That's a different time. But 
My point being, that's what you're looking at. That's why Sark likes the power run, the deep pass to complement his real bread and butter, which is the intermediate and RPO game. Uh, somebody asked about uh, offensive line, Hudson, and hold on. I'll try. That was a good question. Um, it's uh, Russ Hinkle at 8.29 a.m. Like, one we need to probably address. Oh, here we go. Right here. Russell Hinkle says, any expectation of Hudson and Neto start over DJ Campbell and Hayden Connor this week? And then real quick, uh, Mike Gosnell also has Super Chat, kind of the same thing here. Will DJ Campbell start this Saturday, or will a healthy Cole Hudson take his spot back? O-line seemed better when Campbell left. So I think, I, look, I know it's one game, but I'm going with Neto. I know that's a tough first start, first place to start, but he's a second-year player. Um, I think Texas, as the season moves along, is going to need him and Kelvin Banks on the left side in the run game. I completely agree with what Bobby said during the game, especially considering – um, the issues they've continued to have uh, second level runs on the interior. Uh, I mean, I, I just think it's I think it's an issue. Look, we don't know Cole Hudson. We don't know at this point what his availability truly is this week. Um, DJ Campbell, um, I think you know everybody's like, well, he was walking around fine after the game. Yeah, but when you get to those ankle and feet, it's the swelling. It's the next day, next couple of days. Um, I, if oh, he, he not, was wearing a, people are saying that he was wearing a boot yesterday, Jerry, he was wearing a boot Sunday. He was wearing a boot Sunday. So that, I mean, does that mean he can't go Saturday? No, but it means it's a tougher haul. Uh, but the thing with, with DJ to me is he looked like a guy that was starting for the first time. He looked like a guy that was out there thinking instead of playing. And for him to reach his potential, you can't be thinking. You got to you got to be reactive and you got to be powerful and you got to be quick and you got to go play. So, so my my take on this question is a little bit uh, a little different. Um, I think that you have to play to your strengths in college football a lot. Um, and right now, I look at the Texas offensive line and I ask myself, other than experience and a lot of starts, what is the actual strength? Um, and I don't know that that I can name one. If you were to put Kelvin Banks and Neto together on the left side, the left side of your line looks pretty darn good in the run game, in my opinion. Yeah. And then you build off of that and make teams defend that a little bit, and you can start looking at, at other aspects. I think the interior of the offensive right line right now with Hayden Connor, he's just he doesn't move people in the run game. Um, now, he's better in pass protection than any guard. Right. Okay, so that's why he's clearly in there. And they 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 uh, combine him with Kelvin Banks, so they think the left-hand side of the offensive line and pass protection is probably stout. However, it, it, you know, in a power run-based scheme, I think they got to go with Neto. Um, and maybe Hayden Connor is your starting right guard, though. I'm not saying Hayden Connor is not, not uh, among that. Um, but uh, that's, that's an issue. I, I think there were some communication issues. Jake Majors... Uh, you know, for a senior, you can't turn your head as an offensive lineman. If you're one of the three interior offensive linemen, you cannot – your ear hole can't be sideways to the line of scrimmage because then somebody's going to come the other way. You have to always have your head on a swivel. And DJ Campbell, Jake Majors, Hayden Connor, all three of them, Jerry, It was, I'm not picking one of them. All three of them at times totally turned their shoulders – 
and let the other guy, the, the Kelvin Banks sack, for example, they pushed a guy out instead of actually maintaining it. Yeah. You know, and so Banks is sitting there with a linebacker one-on-one and not even engaged with the guy. How's he going to block him? Uh, so I, I feel like that's what's got to be cleared up. Uh, they need to find a strength on the offensive line, though. That that will help so much. Uh, that long run uh, that uh, Jaden Blue had down the sideline, that was absolutely off of left guard and left tackle. Um, I, the fourth and one that of the three that Texas can uh, completed, it was right off of uh, Neto's butt. To be yeah. honest with you, he he turned his guy and moved inside, and it was it was a clean two yard run uh, that did not get it get, get hit until two yards in. So people are asking about Cam Williams as a possible guard, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's not out of the question, but I am saying, man, they're already training him at right tackle and left tackle. I mean, he's got to be prepared to be the third tackle if one of those guys goes down. He works at left tackle one day a week, right tackle the rest of the time. They're getting him ready to take over at right tackle next year. I mean, so there's there's some elements there that they have to develop Cam Williams. They can't just slide him in the guard this week and roll with it. I don't think it will, I don't think it will work that way because they have to have him ready to play tackle. While we're on the subject of offensive line, guys, I'm going to stick with this question from David Williams. He says, Jerry, I mentioned that Campbell is 343 pounds right now rather than 323 pounds a few weeks ago. You mentioned that he was a solid 343, of course, paraphrasing. Do you think he can now be too heavy? I don't. I mean, I don't think he's too heavy. I mean, Alabama is going to roll out 340 pounds a man Saturday night. I don't think he's too heavy. I just think it's got he's got to go from here – to just reacting and playing. I, I think that's going to be the key thing. Because if, you, if you're thinking, it makes you look like you're a split second late. Off the snap, everything you're doing. When, you ha- when you're not thinking and just reacting and playing, your snap anticipation is there on the offensive line. I, I don't think he's too big. I think he's, he, he's a slow processing right now. If To just put it, Point blank. That doesn't mean he can't get better. Remember, right. this unlike everybody else on that offensive line, this was DJ's first start. So to think that there's not going to be improvement would be inaccurate. Right. At the same time, he's got a ways to go, clearly. Well, well and let's point this out for DJ Campbell's development, by the way. Cam Williams only played offensive line. Kelvin Banks only played offensive line. Cole Hudson only played offensive line. Connor Robertson only played offensive line. Are oh, you talking about in high school? In, in high, high school. school. DJ Campbell played as much defense as he did offense. He has a steeper curve, and then he played tackle and D-tackle, and he's having to learn how to play guard where you're peripheral. You got things going on all over the place. So it's a steep learning curve for a very talented player. No doubt about it, guys. One more question about the offensive line before we move on here, and it is from Synthetic Gaming Network. We had all starters on the offensive line back this year, right? Why did we look so off? Is it first game jitters? I think Bryce confused them. Rod Babers made an excellent point in the postgame and and even last night. Uh, Texas was confused. Uh, The interior of the offensive line more so than than Christian Jones and Kelvin Banks. Guard, center guard was a problem. It wasn't the outside. No. 
doesn't mean I didn't think Christian Jones had a great game, by the way, um, in in the in pass blocking. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, that I don't I don't think they I don't think it's first game jitters. I think to to Rod's point that they, they played what they call an amoeba front at times, which you don't know where anybody what position anybody's really playing, and they come at different angles and you overcommit on the interior to one side or the other and let the opposite side run free or get clean one-on-ones. That's what that's what Baylor did to Texas a year ago that produced five sacks. That's what Rice did to Texas early uh, in that game against uh, uh, on Saturday. Bama is, does not typically do that, by the way. They play straight up. So now, does, does Kevin Steele and Nick Saban try to tweak that a little bit this year? Are they trying to morph into something? Bama typically plays straight up because they think they have better guys than you. Yeah. So they 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 take the Jimmys and Joes route typically, right? Jimmys and Joes are better than the X's and O's. Hey, by uh, the way, we have some comments that Rice will win eight games this weekend or this year. Look, we're going to learn a lot about Rice Saturday. They're playing Houston. Oh yeah, fair. So we're going to see if the if look is Rice a lot better than the five and eight team last year. We'll find out. UTSA and, and U of H played to a draw second year in a row with somebody having the win and U of H wins. Uh, they got a little bit better players. But we'll find out Saturday on Rice. I'm not really willing to say they're going to be an eight-win team yet. Let's No, let's I, 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 Rice being an eight-win team would be a, one of the bigger surprises of college football. How many eight-win seasons has Rice had, period? <laughs> I mean, since the, since the 80s. I mean, they've, they've, they've had a few, I'm sure. Trevor Cobb, my dad coached Trevor. I'm sure they've had a few, but you know. Come on. <laughs> Bobby, before we move on, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Homefield. Yeah, Homefield Apparel is a premium college sports apparel brand based in the good old USA. They emphasize their commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They feature a growing collection of more than 150 colleges to choose from, including, of course, the University of Texas. Homefield designs are unique because they delve into the archives and history of each school using unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create thoughtfully designed apparel. They are all about authenticity and nostalgia. I personally like the Roaring Bevo. Uh, when I went to school, that was kind of the alternative logo. Uh, I got one in gray for me and my son. They also have the, the fun Bevo guy uh, as well. That was one of those when, that we had when school was going on. I'm telling you guys, give their site a look. It's not the typical U UT gear. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com where you can see their selection of colleges available. And guess what? Our listeners here at On Texas Football get 15% off their first order with discount code ONTEXAS23. Use ONTEXAS23 at checkout. It's the perfect apparel to get you ready for the upcoming season. So check them out, homefieldapparel.com. All right. We got some super chats that we need to catch up on real quick, guys. This one from Boomer Beats. He want to thank him. He says, I'm guessing about Sark's presser. Uh, he says, no updates, lie to us, give saving nothing. <laughs> I agree. Uh, like here, like a lot of, I, I just remember John McClain last year going off on Steve Sarkeesian for not giving the depth chart, right? These, these coaches owe the media nothing. Right. I mean, I mean, I, and I'm a media member, right? They, they, they owe us nothing. Um, now 
I, I do think that there are, there are, there's going over the top, which is I got what a guy like Bill Snyder would do at Kansas State and just <laughs> like they didn't exist. Sark shows up, says nothing, and goes home. That's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> okay, doesn't bother this, me at all. <laughs> this next one here from Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I want to thank him. He says, Quinn regressed last year after a big hit and injury. He took a shot Saturday and showed resolve. Is his issue, quote unquote, more mental or technique? I'll tell you what, I'm going into that today with uh, uh, Brian Irwin uh, during lunch with the coach. Uh, Brian wants to, he's, he texted me, and that's one of the things he wants to talk about. Uh, he's, he thinks that the very first third and three of the game uh, for Texas was a very telling for him and what Quinn did in that. He wants to break down that play, so please check that out. Uh, we're going to hopefully uh, get that done and up by around noon today. Um, I felt like he regressed last year after the hit. There's no question. But, uh, you know, I don't know that he really got going Saturday until he was hit, if that makes sense. Like, the third quarter, he played well after he took a hit or two in the first half. Um, I thought he played really I, – I was I was unimpressed in the first quarter and second quarter. The third quarter, I thought Quinn played fairly well. So that's that's my take on it. I do believe it's mental uh, more so than technique. Even, even with bad footwork, guys, the mental game did not look as sharp as I think it needs to be for Texas to be a great team this year. And then we'll stay on the subject of viewers, guys. This question from Mock Snell. He says, why has viewers not learned to make post-snap reads? It appears he becomes fixated on his preferred pre-snap favored receiver. I, I agree. Uh, I think that he throws, he's got an idea uh, where he wants to go pre-snap. And then if that's not there, instead of going to a second one a couple times, he panics a little bit and starts escaping the pocket or feeling the pocket squeeze a little bit when it's actually not squeezing at that time. Uh, why does he do it? I mean, it's football's not just add water, instant player. It's not. You have to have reps. The guys that you see doing that, like Jordan Travis last night for Florida State, they played a lot of football, more than Quinn. Uh, hey, Sam's got a question. Was Sark's appearance at LSU-FSU halftime show last night for recruiting purposes? No, it's because Texas and Bama is the game <laughs> next Saturday night and college game day is going there. So you're going to see Sark. You're going to see Saban. Saban's going to have to be forced to do it. Uh, but those guys are appearing to build up the hype for the game. There you go. Love it. Okay, it is yeah. not a bad thing. But it it's not, not it's thing. never a bad thing for recruiting when you're on as long as you're winning. When you're two and nine and they're asking you questions, that's not good. <laughs> when you're two well, and nine, you're asking yourself questions. Right, right. You're interviewing yourself. Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about Alabama because there are a ton of questions. Alan Barrera says where does Texas have an advantage against Alabama? I think I think Texas is line well. Jalen Ford is really good in coverage. Great in coverage. Not good, great. I think Texas can attack the Bama linebackers in coverage. I, Bama has really good athletes. They have really good downhill players. I'm interested to see, interested to see those guys in coverage. Um, I think that's an area where Texas can have success, uh, Bobby. Um, I, I think, look, I think Texas wide receivers, while Alabama is extremely talented, Caleb Downs is not your average freshman safety. His dad is a college defensive back coach he is not the average college freshman safety um 
but he's still a freshman. I think Texas wide receivers, since they have multiple guys that can beat man coverage, that gives them a chance to win more immediately and early than they had last year against quality opponents. I think it's receivers versus DBs. That's where Texas has primary advantage. I also think Texas receivers are a Texas secondary should be at least a stalemate with Alabama's wide receivers. Yeah. Um, this game will be one in the trenches though. Yes. If Alabama can move the football running, Texas is going to have a long, long night. That's, that's the reality. Because Texas so what is, what, the line against the run. That's right. it. Yeah. What, what can Pete Kwiatkowski do? I can see Pete Kwiatkowski being very good against the typical run game of Alabama, the power run. I think Texas will be fine there. It's when Jalen Milrow gives them an extra man and actually suddenly hits the Jets. That's the that's the one that I think that, that could lead to a couple of big plays for Alabama. That could be the difference in the game for the Crimson Tide. I, I think that I think another key, I think a huge key for Texas early in this game, and it's always a key on the road, but they have to answer early in the first quarter. They have they can't. Here's the where the clock chain, the, the running clock, I think is an issue. And it favors, really favors home teams. If you can get up early on people, you really control the game. Now, if Texas has to answer the bell in the first quarter of this game, they really do. Because look, here's the reality. This is an experienced team. They should go in and play well. When's this when has Texas played a road game? The last time they played a road game in an environment that they're going to see Saturday, guys. When's the last time? I K-State. But just, that, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't sing like <laughs> Alabama, baby. <laughs> no. It yeah, I, it's, it's not even right. close to what they're going to walk into Saturday. That, I, and that's I'm thing, to think, hey, what about Ohio State, like in 05? That's what I'm saying. So this team I has mean, this not, a, Maryland no. doesn't count. <laughs> Cal doesn't count. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of those non-conference games. LSU would have been had they gone and returned, uh, except for COVID. Notre I'm Dame. Not, no, Notre Dame would have okay, been. So, so, so that's, point, that's my point. This Texas 85, 65 guys that travel to Tuscaloosa, uh, this team has never played in an environment like that. So they have to re- answer the bell in the first quarter. Because if they get behind big, Bama's going to have control of what they want to do in this game. Texas has to take the control away from Alabama in this game. All right, I'm going to take one from the Inside Texas Forums, y'all. And uh, this is from Texas Bullhorn. He says, we've all heard Rod talk about how to beat Texas with empty formation. But what about how to beat Alabama? Uh. How does Alabama beat Texas, or how does Texas beat Alabama with empty? It puts an emphasis on the outsides and takes the 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 strength of probably Alabama defense, which is the interior and edge, a little away from Alabama. Now, Alabama will cheat further outside with guys like Dallas Turner if you start doing that in five wides to try to take away the shorter passing game. Um, I think RPO works against Alabama. Um, I, I just think that that that's where Texas has to go. I think that's what Quinn is best at. Um, in a game like this, Texas has to has to play to its strengths. Quinn is a guy that 
the, the RPO in empty is a fairly quick decision. What you will get, though, is Alabama will, will sense that and start playing man up on everybody across the board. And when they do that, it's a different, you know, how does Texas react once Alabama goes to that sort of uh, lineup? So I, I feel like that's, look, that's part of the cat and mouse of college football, right? I, I, people brought up at Arkansas, at, o, at Oklahoma State. Those would be the two. Great. But it's Oklahoma still not, State's not that, though. It's not Alabama. Yeah, Come they're on. just on top of you because of how close yeah. the field is. But it's not <laughs> Arkansas, maybe the closest then, as far as just, but it's still, I mean, it's a different, it's a little different game. But I, I agree, Bobby. I think the RPO spreading these guys out is, you got to do it because Alabama's got downhill thumpers at backer, right? Spread these guys out. <laughs> Was there a play that y'all saw? on Saturday, where Xavier Worthy was not open. No. That's – Xavier Xavier Worthy can get open. Absolutely. And Aiden I think – can get open. You know, I'm sure Kool-Aid McKinstry, who's the Alabama cornerback, is going to try to draw that matchup. Yeah. You know, and I think that old Kool-Aid, he's, he's probably a really good cornerback. I, I just think that Xavier Worthy can get open about against just about anybody. And maybe yeah, Will Franco has a great 850. I think has something that's interesting. Okay. He says, I know Sark recruits pocket passers first, but I can't wait until we have a quarterback who is more comfortable with using his legs. Bobby and I were talking about this this morning. And to me in college football, unless you have overwhelming talent, you better have a quarterback that can make plays with his feet. Now, look at Jordan Travis. I don't think Florida State – has overwhelming talent. They don't have the talent level of Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State. But what he does, he makes enough plays with his feet. And and he and I saw him in high school. I used to do some of their high school games when I lived out in Florida. Uh, he's a he's a very good athlete that's a pocket passer, but he can make plays on the move. I agree. The, the it's Shadur Sanders is a great example. Good passer for sure accurate passer guys but he and jordan travis used their legs to to win those games too they evaded the pocket got out of the pocket didn't necessarily run the ball as in as much as they actually threw the ball effectively because they were able to get out and run um you know of the group at texas who's the best runner i think arch manning is he is interesting um now malik provides you something different malik is so big and you saw it against rice he can kind of sur survey the field from the pocket because he's so – I mean, he's taller than the offensive lineman. Quinn is a little bit smaller, and I think he gets lost in the pocket a little. Uh, it, 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 the thing about it, Emmanuel, and everyone else out there, every quarterback, every single quarterback, just like every single human, human being, is slightly different. And nobody is the absolute prototype one way or the other or that has everything. I mean, not Cam Newton, not not Vince Young, not everybody. You have to – everybody has their own little unique strengths. I'm going to do one more from the Inside Texas forums real quick, guys. Uh, this one from K.W. Barnett going back to Bama. He said, have y'all heard anything on Alabama injuries as far as this week goes? Yeah, I, I, Malachi Moore should be okay from what I hear. I'm obviously not the trainer at the University of Alabama, just to be clear. I think he had a little bit of an ankle deal. Um, but I think he should be good to go. That was the main one. I think Henderson, one of the other wide receivers, is dealing with something. 
Uh, but look, that's I, I'm not sure that's some sort of game changer for Alabama. Uh, but I think the couple of guys, secondary guys that maybe had some minor little ankle rolls on special teams late in that game are expected to be fine. Hey, uh, I want to mention this. Tomorrow, uh, one of our guests will be Tim Watts of Bama Online. Oh, I he can't is, wait. Yeah, he is the guy <laughs> at Alabama. Uh, if you guys want to know what's really going on there, we want to bring him in. He's also a member of the On3 Network, which Inside Texas is part of. Uh, just so you guys know, uh, On3 right now has a special promo for Inside Texas. So if you're not a subscriber to Inside Texas, uh, they're trying to draw people from YouTube over to Inside Texas, there's not, we're not, there's no secret about this. On Texas football, the promo code is OTFIT23. It's $1 for two months. We've never done anything like this before. $1 for two months. You get all the Alabama content, recruiting content. Zeno Umi Ozulu getting ready to uh, announce uh, on Wednesday night as well. Uh, use that promo code and select the monthly offer, uh, and you guys. We'll get going. Uh, the one thing about it is it is an introductory offer. If you've already subscribed before, you cannot use that code. So it's only for new subscribers. That's right. So head on over to Inside Texas for all the latest and greatest Longhorn coverage. And we got a super chat here from Ken Ward, guys. And he says, happy Labor Day. I've rewatched the game five times now. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Uh, the one thing that sticks out to me the most is that Tavondre Sweat looks like a grown man ragdolling little kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's – look, I mean, he, here's the kind of the thing. That's kind of my pushback on is Devon Campbell need to lose weight. Does Tavondre Sweat, he's 360. Caden Proctor's 360 at Bama. Uh Tyler Booker's 355. JC Latham 360. Georgia guys are 350, 360. Uh, but Tavondre Sweat is using his 360 extremely well. I agree with you, Jerry and Ken. I, I think that look, I have no problem with those guys because you know what it does? It lets Ethan Burke be Ethan Burke. You know, oh, by the way, I, I just want to say this. Not not uh, harping on anything too much because I've mentioned it like five times now. Ovio Gufu started for LSU last night. Did not record a stat. Not one. Okay. okay. Ethan Burke recorded one and a half sacks in his first game as a starter at Texas. Yeah. That's, that's how many Ovi had last year. I think Texas sees an upgrade at this position. You want to talk about maybe a pleasant surprise on defense from that game? Offense, it was Jaden Blue. Defense for me. It was Ethan Burke. Okay, well, let's move on here. Uh, this question from LL, and he says, Manny Muhammad had the second most snaps at corner behind Gavin Holmes. Will that continue, or was that just because they played Rice? I think it was a great opportunity to get Manny extended experience, first of all, and he played very well. Um, I do think, look, here's the thing. Gavin Holmes is so valuable because as a field corner, when Texas plays in Texas, the field was not stressed vertically against Rice. But the field will be stressed vertically throughout the season. Gavin Holmes is the best you have at that. Manny Muhammad at the boundary is going to be the best between him and Watts is going to be the best of those two corners if the field's going to be tested vertically, in my opinion. I think Ryan Watts is a good guy, really good against the run, short and intermediate stuff probably a safety at the next level, but can do the job as, as your corner at boundary at, at this level. But you know, Texas knows the field's going to be stressed vertically. 
So who are your guys? And I think Terrence Brooks can play vertically. But I think getting Manny Muhammad ready for that at boundary corner is big, Bobby. Uh, Rice had 53 total plays in the game. Um, 15 of those came in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's that's where Gavin Holmes and Manny Muhammad made hay on, on the snap count. Just so you guys get a get a fair um, a take on that. <clears throat> I, I believe that uh, – uh, I think that they go in with Ryan Watts early because of the run support. I mean, Ryan Watts against Jalen Milrow is a fair fight. It's it, yes, it is. It's big. Yeah, I mean, the thing that, I, and I'll say this: Jalen Milrow is a physical runner. I, I think he's a lot like a Jalen Hurts in that regard. I don't think he's as nifty or nimble as Jalen Hurts, but he, you know, Jalen Hurts is a powerful runner. Jalen Milrow is a powerful runner. I worry about Manny Muhammad. Uh, uh, Gavin Holmes, Jade Barron, even uh, and J- Jaron Thompson, tremendous against the run. Yeah, uh, against those guys. And so Ryan Watts is a positive, but you do give up speed over the top, and so be aware of that. And Isaiah Bond, I think, is he's not their number one receiver, but he finished with the most yards for them. He is a guy for for Alabama that will take the top off, absolutely. And Milrow has an arm to get it there. It's not necessarily the most accurate arm. By, by the way, East State totally agree on Terrence Brooks. Terrence Brooks is a tremendous corner. He said he thought he looked like a blanket in coverage Saturday. Yeah, uh, Terrence Brooks, very, very good player. Future draft pick. Derek Williams had a pass breakup. Ter- Derek Williams looked great instinctively in that game. For a guy that was not in Austin for as an early enrollee like a lot of the guys were. And Derek Williams, here's the other thing about Derek Williams, guys. He played running back wide receiver, corner, safety as a senior. He moved all around the field. He's really concentrating on safety only for the first time in his career. Watch out. If this is what he looks like now, watch out. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com MBO. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We got a question here from Christian, and it's toward you, Bobby. He says, hey, Bobby, you said someone told you that if Alabama is blitz, they look beatable. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You got to, I, I exactly know what they meant when they sent that because I went back and watched the Alabama game yesterday. Um, uh, you got, you, you make Jalen Milrow make quick decisions. He's not necessarily an accurate passer in that regard. He'll throw to the right person. He's not a, you know, he's not a, a he's not going to sit there and throw a bunch of interceptions, I don't think, but you'll get him off schedule if you make him hurry his decision making. Um, uh, or he'll take off and run. That's, that's his, that's what, that's his MO. 
So third and seven, third and eight, I think you should blitz the heck out of Alabama if you get them in that long situation. You don't blitz them on third and three, though. That's a, that's a recipe for, you know, letting them pop a big run. But that that's what that's what it was, Christian. And then while we're on the subject of blitzing, Emmanuel Villafranco says, what's better, blitzing or spying Milrow? You can do both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no either or there, Emmanuel. <laughs> you may have to do both. And, and really play, be willing to play your corners on an island. And Alabama's got some fast guys now, so that's risky. You got to I, I want to answer one off the board real quick. Or I, yeah. as people have asked about Micah Hudson, his recruitment being affected. Let's see how everything plays out. Now, Joey McGuire and the Red Raiders are coming home, and it just got a lot more difficult. They got mm-hmm. Oregon. So let's see what happens. They could be 0-2. They should be at this point. <laughs> Easily 0-2. All right, we're going to go back to that, talking about Milrow for a second, guys, because Russell Hinkle wants to know what combination of players will spy Milrow? Jalen Catalan and Anthony Hill. But I still not, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with Hill. I want him playing downhill and aggressive. I don't think Jalen Ford much because Jalen Ford's so good in pass coverage. Bobby? I would use Anthony Hill at some level. I would use David Benda. I agree with you that you can't use Jalen Ford. It takes away from your pass defense. Now, maybe, though, they're not as worried about Jalen and Jalen Ford in pass defense against Milrow. That's a maybe, right? Maybe. And so, the, I, I, the other guy that I think would be great at it is, is Derek Williams. Yeah. I mean, but I don't think, I don't think a true freshman's ready for it. I mean, so, uh, but he is, I wouldn't use Catalan like Jerry. I wouldn't use him actually, Jerry, because he's not big enough, really, even though he's a terrific tackler. Same with Jaron Thompson. I mean, Jaron Thompson, his tackles get shook a lot, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know what to say here. I don't people know how are, they're going to do it either. I mean, Russell asking was, about Wardell Mack after the Florida loss. These guys, guys, this stuff has to, I think it just has to play out a little over time here. Let's see what happens. I mean, look, I don't think one loss. Wardell Mack committed to Florida because he really, really likes Florida. I, I said that after I was down there. One loss doesn't normally affect that. If Florida goes five and seven this year, that's why you recruit through the whistle. See what happens. Because look, hey, Texas doesn't play well Saturday. There's going to be a ton of you guys asking what's going to happen with Colin Simmons. I mean, so just let's just let's let things play out over time here. The one thing about uh, Wardell Mack, he did not make it to Texas this right. weekend, uh, this past weekend. Uh, he had expect he was expected to show and did not. So uh, add that to the list, David Rawls, as well. All right, guys, we were talking about Texas Tech a second ago, so let's go back to that now with Mike Gosnell's question. He's, he wants to know y'all's thoughts on Wyoming's upset over the Red Raiders. I tuned in, and that game was 17 nothing. Yeah, in the first quarter. And you know what, though? I always mess up his name. Really good coach at Wyoming. They, they're sound. Craig Bowles. Craig, they play physical. They play sound football. Going to be a great game for Texas coming off of – Here's the great thing about that win, that Wyoming win over Tech, not talking about Tech. Texas coming off Bama, you kind of wondered, one way or the other, would they be up for Wyoming? It's going to be easy to get Texas up for Wyoming with Wyoming beating Texas Tech. Okay, it's going to be easy for Texas 
for staff to get these guys up for the Wyoming game because Wyoming beat Tech. Um, look, I thought I, I I thought it was interesting that Tech. I I don't want to kind of faded a little bit in, in that game from what they looked like early. I thought that was interesting, something to watch. I, I they faded in part because they're playing at seventy two hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Um, let's be clear. That's that's a Good point. You know, that's that's like a thousand feet higher than Boulder, right? And Texas has gone to Boulder and, and looked bad in the fourth quarter before, guys. Yeah. So I, the Texas looked bad against Laramie, against Wyoming with Colt McCoy. Colt had some turnovers in that. Yeah. Game. I mean, so playing in Laramie is different. Let's give let's give Tech that. I will. I mean, even though I'm I'm not a big fan right now of Joey the Mouth McGuire, uh, his his world wrestling name, uh, by the way. But look, my my thought process uh, on those on that is. Jerry's point is absolutely correct. It gives Texas an opportunity to refocus after Alabama. And this is not, in my opinion, unlike UTSA coming to town after Alabama last week or last year. Texas knew they had, even with Hudson Card going in for um, Quinn Ewers, Texas knew they had to come with it against UTSA. Texas now knows no matter what happens this week, they can't just lollygag into Wyoming and show up and win. I thought it was interesting that the altitude affected Texas Tech because they've been on cloud nine for months now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that altitude affected you when you've been that high. TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor. The crown jewels of the Big 12, according to Brett Yormark. Not so much, uh, Willie Fitzgerald. Where is all that Colorado disrespect? Hey, I'm I've, I've come out and said I love Dion. I worked with Dion for years at Under Armour, ESPN Under Armour, helped run his Prime Twenty One camp. I just think they didn't think they had the lines to do what they did. Kudos to their offensive coordinator, Dion. What Dion does well is he gets guys to believe, man. And I underestimate Dion Dion's ability to get kids to believe, even though I saw it for years. I underestimated the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I still don't think I so I still don't think they have it on the lines, Jerry. So I'm, I'm going to say that what I underestimated more than anything was the quarterback. He, he was accurate, moved the ball well, smart. That's what I underestimated. Uh, Mock Chanel's often asking about Xavier Filson, me a, a safety out of McKinney. He's originally from the state of Florida. So there's a little bit to that one. But we'll double check as the season moves along. The senior evaluation started this last week. That, that's right. Coaches were on the road this week. You, we know they were at Dom McKinley and Melvin Hill's game on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Bo Davis was at that game. Texas will recruit Dominic McKinley through the whistle. See what happens, guys. Um, yes, uh, not a lot of Texas coaches were out. I think the first weekend they're really going to be out is the 16th. That 15th, the night of the 15th is when they're really going to be out in as far as a lot of members of the staff. Uh, some of the Colorado Bears said maybe TCU is overrated. Well, let's. Uh, I'll say this. They lost 65-7 in the national title game last year. They lost a Heisman runner-up quarterback. What's interesting about TCU, I had a, a good buddy bring this up. What the, They were starting Chandler Morris last year. And if not for injury, where would they have been last year? I think TCU is going to have to make a move to Josh Hoover, but TCU lost to some really good players off a team that got thumped in the national title game. Um, are they overrated? We'll see. 
Sonny Dykes has never won a conference championship. Uh, we got a uh, super chat, guys, from Poke Casino. Thank you, Poke. And he says, hook them. If the quarterback's under pressure or doesn't have the time, deep balls are technically a Hail Mary, in his opinion. We need to get two or three first downs for momentum before we think of the deep ball with Alabama. I agree with that, uh, largely. Um, Texas only had two three and outs, by the way. And both of them were four and outs. Uh, so everybody understands. So Texas did move the ball consistently uh, against Rice, even if they didn't always score touchdowns. Uh, the three first half field goals uh, were uh, a symptom or a, a result of that. Uh, I look at it and uh, I, I didn't like Quinn's footwork on one. Uh, the, the problem with the deep balls, the three deep balls I felt were badly thrown. The first one was underthrown to Xavier Worthy, where Worthy came back for the ball. Quinn was was just flat out late on that. The second one was to A.D. Mitchell. He short-armed it and didn't step in because he, he felt too much rush. Okay. The third one he threw out of bounds uh, to Xavier Worthy. That was just horrible footwork, everything about it. Um, and so three different ways he missed deep balls is my problem. So it wasn't... <laughs> You can't say, oh, he had bad footwork. Oh, he, he short-armed it. Oh, this or that. Three different ways he missed deep balls. That's that's a problem. That means that that's going to be, you've got multiple things going on that he's got to get corrected. All right, let's take another Quinn question, then we'll move on, guys. From Jess C13, he says, if Quinn plays, if Quinn's play stays consistent with his performance this past Saturday, will he go in the first round? So also, if Quinn isn't a first rounder, does he come back next season? I don't, I, I'd be surprised if Quinn's back next season. I'll say that. Just surprised. Do you think even, even with this play, this level of play, Jerry? Let's see what happens the rest of the year. I think if he's, I think if he's a draftable guy, I don't think he'll be back. Interesting. So not even first round. It's a lot of money. Quarterbacks make a lot of money. That's the reality of it. And he's got NFL talent. There's no doubt about that. Hey, guys, I want to say thanks uh, to our one of our sponsors, actually our newest sponsor. Uh, that's John Donovan. Uh, he is the head and president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. In his more than 30 years of practice, John, as a certified financial planner, has been, has been providing total wealth management services and solutions for his clients. John is a proud UT grad. He has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas X's board member. Uh, listen to this, guys. He shares his passion for UT with his wife and six siblings, all of whom are also UT grads. Uh, to learn how Longhorn Wealth can orchestrate prosperity for you and your loved ones, give John a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. Guys, uh, check out the website. Uh, see exactly how John and his team uh, can help you out. All right. We have a question here from Longest Horn. He says, is JT Sanders physical enough for your liking? What y'all's thoughts after week one? I I thought that he was uh, above average in the run game, not bad. And I just, I just feel like my my concern on Saturday was the fourth and ones, and Gunner Helm uh, did not. I, I think Gunner Helm read that play wrong, not Ad Mitchell. Um, 
And so I, I'm actually not as concerned about JT and his physicality because JT gets a lot of kickout blocks. He comes across the formation and really he's just trying to, to wedge or to, to shield people off, right? His physicality is okay uh, in that regard. The one that that concerns me is Gunnar Helm. So that that's uh, that I, I would say that longest horn. It's not so much JT Sanders for me. He Jerry? he he sealed the backside good enough. Jerry, your thoughts? Uh, no, I, I agree with Bobby on that. Totally agree with Bobby on that. And and look, I think JT Sanders is physical enough to do the job he's asked to do, and 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 at the next level. Okay, guys, let's go over to defense for a minute. Archmania says, prediction on defensive MVP. Which position group also has the MVP? Well, the D-line was the MVP of game one. I mean, look, Alfred Collins, I don't have my shades, but we'll fake shades. Um, (laughs) Alfred Collins, Byron Murphy, um, Tavondre Sweat, all look like guys that will be draftable players. Vernon Broughton, that's a game with his quickness he can be disruptive against. that he wasn't going to have to really anchor against the run in that game, like a Alabama. Um, Trill Carter, I thought was interesting. I kind of wondered where Trill had been. He was wearing a knee brace. And when he turned and moved down the line, you could tell he had a little hitch in his giddy up. So he's not 100%. Um, but I thought the D line, I thought the D line as a whole, the interior D line was the position MVP of that game, which going into the game, and that's what we said they had to be. If Texas is going to go win 10 games this year, the positions that are supposed to supposed to dominate have to. And for me, that's D-line. That's Jalen Ford. That's Jalen Catalan. That's wide receivers. Those guys have to be really, really good and play up to their maximized level. And D-line certainly did Saturday, Bobby. Prediction on defensive MVP for me is Jalen Ford. That what a what an interception, guys. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, let's be clear. That, that that was an NFL play. No, that that's what that that you not trying. I mean, I'm not saying he was perfect against the run. I haven't evaluated that enough to say that he's a first round or second round pick. What a play! When when you saw that happen, you like, uh, yeah. there he is. I mean, because it was it was that linebacker that gets in that drops and gets depth and he gets rewarded. I mean, this is the whole thing. He ever since he's been doing that. He's gotten rewarded, so he's getting better at it. It's like the guy, the rat that goes after the cheese. He keeps going after the cheese, right? Because it's going to get rewarded. Jalen Ford keeps getting rewarded. And I, I will tell you that that will keep teams away from the middle of the field in the passing game somewhat. I think that running back and linebacker are the two most instinctive play positions in football. Interesting. Interesting. And I think Jalen Ford's instincts really show up. Like you can, and he's obviously a film study guy, but there's an instinct to what he does too. It's not just film study and technique. There's an instinct to the way he moves and plays in coverage that you don't see with a lot of other linebackers. And it's like a running back. Some of those guys just have that peripheral feel and vision to them and have that feel for playing the position. I think it's a very instinctive position. I think sometimes in recruiting, uh, the, some of the things that I question are um, how many guys we just project the linebacker and say they can go do it. Harold Perkins had one tackle yesterday, guys. LSU's going to – and he had, they had him spying on uh, 
Jordan uh, Travis. So he took him out of a lot of plays, which I thought was interesting. LSU took away his strength, which is chasing the football and making plays. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. LSU's got issues on defense, period. <laughs> period. Texas right, does Dave, not right now. <laughs> David Williams says, a concern I have that is not mental or necessarily execution is that Texas still continues to miss on quarterback sacks. There were probably three more sacks Texas could have had Saturday. What do y'all think about that? I think that's an accurate point. Uh, Ethan Burke had a really good game. He missed one. I think that the one he missed, a six-seven guy having to break down to a quarterback that's starting to play on the move, even though JT Daniels doesn't really do that well. Another year of strength from Ethan Burke, where those long arms are stronger. I think he can finish that play. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's going to be the thing, Sark. PK, they talked about it in the preseason press conference. We have to do a better job getting quarterbacks to the ground. And I would think they Texas came out of that happy with what they saw, but not 100% pleased with the result. Bobby, you agree with that? I I, I thought the, the only sack that I saw they missed was Burke uh, running over the top of uh, of the quarterback that actually led eventually led to a touchdown uh, uh, the next play after – Daniel scrambled for like an eight yard run. Uh, if they would have made that sack, I don't think Rice scores a touchdown. Um, so, you know, but look, I felt like the pressure was closer to getting home. Like last year, Texas apparently had led, was one of the top leaders in the country in yeah. pressure on quarterbacks. I don't know how that stats actually calculated. This felt to me like Texas actually had more pressure on the quarterback than last year. Whether they got the sacks or not, I'm not sure. But this literally felt like more pressure. And, and Rice had five three and outs. And I mentioned this earlier. That is one of, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I look at. Um, that's a dominating performance from your defense. Uh, and so uh, one, I thought they had one true missed sack. I, I don't remember one other than that. Right, we're going to do the super chat here from Rudy Serda. Thank you, Rudy. He says, over under, two picks thrown by Milrow. I'll take the under. I'll take the under, too. If he throws two picks, Texas is in business. <laughs> so I was going to say that. I, Rudy, I, if, you, if you hit the over on that, <laughs> let's be clear. Texas is in business. Okay, let's see here. Colorado Bear with an Alabama question. He says, uh, did Sarkeesian, or Alabama Rice question, did Sarkeesian have Quinn target worthy so much to bait Alabama into overlooking the other receivers? Um, so first of all, nice meeting you at the co-op on Friday, uh, Colorado Bear. He was up there along with several other people uh, watching and hanging out with Rod, myself, Jerry. You were you were uh, elsewhere, but you were on the, on the line with us. Uh, you know, I don't know that he did that to bait anybody. I think that Quinn Ewers feels like Xavier is his outlet because Xavier is always open. Even last year, you saw him do that. Quinn Ewers favors Xavier Worthy. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, going to be uh, going to be Sark doing that. Uh, I will say this: uh, Ad Mitchell, uh, Adonai Mitchell, as well as Jordan Whittington, had solid games as well. Uh, the only negative I saw out there on the receiver group uh, really was uh, the problem with uh, Adonai Mitchell blocking on a bubble screen to Jordan Whittington. I thought that was a poor effort overall. Hey, somebody brought up N'Kobe Dean in the uh -huh. comments section. I thought yeah, it was awesome. 
There is a lot of similarities with N'Kobe Dean and Jalen Ford, guys. Jalen's a taller guy. N'Kobe Dean, I was brilliant out there. I talked to Will Muschamp. He said he was the most instinctive linebacker he's ever coached. That pick six he had against Florida, uh, Dean's that, that year in the swamp, that was a straight N'Kobe Dean changing the defense. Okay, N'Kobe Dean – wasn't going to be a first-round pick, even though I think he was still underdrafted. Didn't have a great first year as far as stats go. He's now calling the Eagles defense this year. I think you're going to see similar things with Jalen Ford in the NFL. Some guy, Those smart, instinctive guys that are film study guys, they end up calling your defense. Okay, we're going to go back to the wide receivers just for a second, guys. we got a question here from TW262150. He says, based on last year, why is Texas throwing deep balls to Worthy and not more to Mitchell and Nayor? They only threw two to, to Worthy and one to Mitchell. So I don't know that it's that outsized. Uh, and Worthy, by the way, was open on both. Um, and so that, that would be – I don't know that they're necessarily – as I said last night, this one first game at Rice, we can overreact to it, okay? It's fair to make observations. It's not fair to draw conclusions, right? Quinn Ewers can improve. DJ Campbell can improve. They may change tendency next week against Alabama. All of those things are true. Uh, this is true about Mitchell and Nayor as well as Worthy in the deep ball. One, one game is a data point. Two and three games, that's a trend. Come back to me after this one. <laughs> we're going to go over to the Inside Texas Forums for a couple of questions. AK Bebo says, we're going to need some big special teams plays, such as scores or big returns for this weekend. Do you agree? I don't know you're going to – I know that – I don't know that you're going to get them, uh, but Jerry pointed this. I don't know that you're going to get them because Alabama is so talented – just like Texas is now, where it takes a special returner. Now, Alabama has a good returner, so they could pop one easily. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think Ryan Sanborn and his performance on Saturday was really important. Had a good hang time, averaged 45 yards a punt. Okay? That being said, Texas, and Jerry mentioned this, did not go after a punt on Saturday. Do they go after a punt with Keelan Robinson – on Saturday. Jerry, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of my takeaways from Rice. Texas held a lot back in the block game, in the punt block game. And in a, on the road, you have to try to grab momentum and change momentum. And I think Texas is going to go after it. And I think Nick Saban knows it. So it comes down to mono y mono. <laughs> All right, on Inside Texas, Rod of Disaster is talking about Muhammad. He says, Muhammad was a revelation on Saturday. That dude has it, which leads me to this question from Brandon Huey. He said, Muhammad was the best player in the secondary. Yeah, I said it. How do they get him on the field more in Tuscaloosa? I say he's better than Ryan Watts. Thoughts? Well, I think he's going to play. Yep. But I we just went over this. Jalen Milrow runs like a truck. He likes he runs like a F-150. He, he's not a Jaguar. <laughs> I just want y'all to understand that. Um, and so Ryan Watts, even though Manny Muhammad is a good tackler, Ryan Watts will hold up better against a Jalen Milrow, in my opinion. It, you know, 
because they play, you got to remember, they play Ryan in the boundary for a reason, and that's run support. So quarterback power to the boundary, uh, Alabama will have numbers going into the boundary. So you have to have a, 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 a cornerback on that side that can really take it on and do something about it. Hey, Jerry, this next question is for you from Cody Pack. He says, Jerry, do you think the tempo picks up when Arch becomes quarterback? Since he seems to be more knowledgeable and understanding versus Quinn. Seems like a lot of offenses this weekend went tempo and it seemed to work. Uh, it's, man, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, it's going to leave a lot in the comment section. <laughs> I, I do think Arch is clear is much more advanced than the rest of the guys in the quarterback room to answer that question. So going to make a comp- we'll see what happens with the competition. I've kind of made my thought, have given my thoughts on that future competition. Um, but uh, I think the big thing is, uh, uh, yeah, I think it, it's going to open up the full playbook. And we're going to jump over to this question for you from uh, David Ross. He says, Jerry, how did Zeno look? Look great in that Texas 12 jersey he was wearing. <laughs> on the sidelines uh our, our uh, will gallagher got will gallagher got a picture of that for inside texas hey look good in that jersey uh see if he puts that thing on september 6 at 6 about 605 p.m we'll have a live stream for that one hey hey jerry talk talking about that uh xena down to a&m ou texas um your thoughts on on him as a player is he 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 seems to be a guy that has looked the part, but hasn't actually produced to the level that you want him to yet. But that could be said about a lot of players that have a lot of talent and in a team like Allen, which typically has a lot of different players, not just one guy on that team going to go D1. Yeah, I I think, um, I think Zena, he's playing some middle linebacker this year, which is kind of not good for his development, by the way. Interesting. Right. That's not good. Like the opposite of like Richland is playing, Daniel Cruz at center to help him develop to the next level. I think Zena playing linebacker may set him back a little bit. It gives him a different vision and, and a feel for the game, but it's not the position he's going to play. Um, I think he's a similar to Ethan Burke, and it's going to take him some time to get stronger. Um, the interesting thing will be Ethan Burke is a very high-end competitor physically. So Zena, because he's not going to be the edge rusher that Colin Simmons is, he's going to come in and he's going to have to be a high-end competitor physically. Um, if he does that, he'll be he'll be a good player. Um, I would say this, guys. The other thing that, that I would say about Zena, um, I want to go back to his June official visit when he came in. Uh, I was told that he was one of the three or four most impressive-looking guys they brought in that entire weekend, period. So they love the the raw clay of Zena Umiozulu. Well, let's stay on recruiting for a second, y'all. Jose Rodriguez says, Jerry, are there any recruits that will be at the Bama game that we are actively recruiting? I, I haven't looked at the complete list yet for Bama, but uh, obviously KJ Lacey and Ryan Williams will be there. So the Texas loan 2025 commitment will be in the stand sitting next to Ryan Williams, the top wide receiver in the 2025 class teammates at Sarah Land. Terry Bussey will be on an official visit, but Texas is a, a long shot there. That's more of a A&M leading Alabama, LSU. Um, and if Terry Bussey doesn't show up in Austin on the 16th, then, I mean, he's not going to Texas. Um, so, you know, it, I mean, 
Yes, there's going to be a lot of guys Texas has offered at the game. This is going to be one of the bigger visit weekends for college football season, period. It's a night game at Alabama. Alabama will have, I'm guessing they'll have 150, 200 plus kids there at this game. And there's going to be some of the very best 25s, 26s in the Southeast region at this game. Hey, Jerry, also the big weekend for Texas is the following weekend, right? Against Wyoming? Yeah, yeah, against Wyoming. Uh, that That is the big weekend right now for Texas. That's their first big uh, visit weekend. That's Ryan Wingo, Danny Okoye scheduled to be there. They're also working to get a lot of those 2025s there. I think there's a chance even that DeAndre Robinson, a couple of those guys could be there as well. Uh, so we'll see. But Texas will have a lot of guys in on the 16th that weekend. All right, Jerry, we got a question here from Tyler King, and he says, is there an update on K.J. Lacey after he left the Lipscomb game early? I reached out to K.J., have not heard back. So I'll let you guys know whenever I hear something on that. There you go. Stay tuned to Inside Texas for that update. And uh, I had an interesting question here from Austin Beverly. Uh, after a full week of games, thoughts on the new clock rule? Seems like it's disrupting the flow of the game and filling the broadcast with more commercials. Chip Kelly was clearly not a fan either. Blake, you take this question because you looked up, you had a stat for us that I thought was impressive in when we were prepping for the show this morning. Give it, give it to folks, okay? Yeah. Uh, so Fox went to a commercial every two minutes and nine seconds on average in the second quarter of the Texas game. I mean, wow. Two minutes, I- nine seconds on average. Jeez. That's a lot. There weren't any big scoring plays there. I mean, there were no quick drives. Mm. Mm. They may, if with this new clock, they may have to change the commercial pattern, right? Something. That may be something. I I know that the the fourth quarter went by like quick, quick enough that we didn't get to see Arch Manning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, by by the way, I I hate the new clock rule uh, for college football. Not a fan of it. This is not pro football. Um, There's a reason that college basketball is a 30-second shot clock and not 24. I do not like the new rule at all. I think also in the portal day and age, it's hard enough to keep these guys at your school. Now you're losing a possession a game. And you say, oh, for one game, 5.5 plays, that's not that much. Well, that's 70 plays over the course of a season. That's 70 plays that potential backups are not playing over the course of a season. And it's going to be harder and harder to keep these kids in school the less plays you have. Hey, a pro roster gets 53 guys. That's right. A college roster gets 85. Keep that in mind, too. So, I mean, uh, more mouths to feed. Well, guys, we've talked about a lot of teams. By the way, I'm not going to bring up the name, but there's somebody on the comment section bringing up Case McCoy and Arch Manning. You can stop there. No, let's keep going. <laughs> Case McCoy and Arch yeah. Manning? Uh, let's, we can stop there. Let's keep going. <laughs> that's that's yeah, funny, but that's not even a rational thought to me. <laughs> All right, guys, we've talked about Texas Tech. We've talked about Alabama. We've talked about Rice. But Jerome says, what about Oklahoma? Of course, they won big. Set, what was it, 70 to, 73 to nothing over Arkansas State this past weekend? Came out on fire. What, uh, what are y'all's thoughts on the Sooners? I thought they looked good on offense. I, I think they're still questionable on defense because they're they're better on defense, but they're still questionable on defense because Arkansas State had nothing for them. Um, Gil- Dylan Gabriel is really good against air. 
Like he's the ball doesn't hit the ground with him. He's accurate, short, deep, intermediate. Does not have a big arm, but has a functional arm. Um, the question I have for 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 OU is whether or not defensively they can keep up with people. That that'll be it. And we didn't get to see that against Arkansas State. They uh, by the way, part of that was uh, they had a 80 plus yard punt return to go up 14 nothing. Uh, so it wasn't just it wasn't just all offense, but believe me, they look good on offense. They looked good on offense. Well, Alabama questions continue to roll in, so we'll take a few more of those. Jason says, how different is Bama's offense with the new offensive coordinator? I know Saban usually keeps the same offense. I think Saban's adapting more. He's adapting to the talent he has and the rule changes in college football. And I, with this new running clock rule, I think that what, what's made Nick Saban the greatest coach I've seen in college football is how well he's adapted multiple times in his career. He knows he can't overwhelm you with offense anymore. He doesn't have four first-round picks at wideout. He doesn't have 10 deep of NFL draft picks on the offensive line that are going to be first through third-round picks. He has good players, but he can't overwhelm you on offense anymore. There was about a three- or four-year period where you literally went, what the hell, when you walked in to play them? How do we have a chance to stop this team? We really don't. We have to get lucky. That's not there anymore. And I think with Jalen Milrow, he's playing to his strengths right now. They wanted Ty Simpson to be the guy. I was told that for a fact. That just didn't happen. But he's playing to his strengths. He has got a big offensive line. They may be young, which how do you help a young offensive line? Mobile quarterback. Power run game. Don't put all that pressure on them and pass pro 50 snaps a game. But they have NFL draft picks at receiver. They don't have four first rounders that you look around at as a D coordinator and say, oh, "Man, I don't even know what I'm what to do in this scenario." They can't overwhelm you on offense anymore. So he's back. He's adapting. He's coaching to his defense. He's coaching to a run game. Uh, Manuel Rincon wants to know who y'all think will be the starting offensive line this week against Bama. That's a great question. It. I don't think it'll be the same as last week. But what will it be, Jerry? I mean, how does Kyle Flood see this offensive line after week one? Well, look, does DJ Campbell keep his job if Cole Hudson's available? Does Hayden Connor get moved to right guard and they put Neto in at left? I Hey, this is – Manuel, you – we've talked around this subject, but what do they actually do? Uh, we don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know Cole Hudson's health, first of all. We don't have an accurate – because, look, going into the game, nobody reported anything that he was out, okay? Sorry, they, they do a good job. These colleges do a good job keeping some of this very close to the vest, right? Um, so, one, I think his health is dependent on that a little bit. Um, DJ Campbell's health is dependent on that. Somebody in the comment section text – being in a boot doesn't mean anything. Texas puts all these guys in a boot. Well, being in a boot means you're not 100% healthy. That I can tell you. <laughs> if you're not wearing a boot, unless you, there's a reason you're wearing a boot, nobody wants to walk around the 40 acres in a boot, okay? I'm not trying to be an ass. I'm just trying to be real. He, he didn't come back into the game after he got rolled up on, okay? He's not 100%. Where will he be by Saturday? Um, so I think those two things are kind of going to dictate 
what happens uh, with the offensive line and the rotation Saturday. I I have a oh, my questions just jumped there. Here we go. Um, this question is oh, if I can find it. Sorry, from Vader RT. He says, "Just listening to the players' post game interviews on Longhorn Network, it seems their minds were already on Bama. What do y'all think about that?" I don't think there's any question. I think Texas was excited for the season opener. They run out from under the uh, from the tunnel. They're so excited. They have so much adrenaline. They're ready to play this year. They weren't overlooking Rice, I don't think. With that said, if there's a game they talk about and have been talking about all summer as a group when it's just them, it's not Rice. It's Alabama. <laughs> There's not, there's not the let's, there's not let's beat Rice on the chalkboard in April. The coaching points are coaching points. When 40 players are hanging out together, they're not talking about playing Rice and what that really means. They're all talking about Bama. So Bama's going to get Texas' best shot. Is it going to be good enough? We'll find out Saturday. But the players have been looking forward to this one for a while. Hey, guys, if you, I want to say this too. If you didn't hear the post game comments from Andrew Kelson, um, and Rod Babers, one of the things that Drew said was so interesting to me. It's not that the players or the coaches are looking ahead uh, to Alabama. It's that they're planning ahead. Um, in the national championship year, Drew was playing, and I, I want to give this story. Drew was playing his first year at linebacker for Texas. Had played a bunch of different stuff. So he, his head literally was on a swivel. Had never been in a game before a linebacker. The first game, I think they played Rice, he said. And he had been practicing all these blitzes and these exotic things that he was supposed to do other than just play normal football. He had been practicing this all month leading up in the fall camp, right? Well, that first game, the coaches didn't call a single one of them. Against Ohio State, he was doing it all. He was like, at first I was out there, well, why didn't they call this blitz? Why didn't they call this? Why didn't they do this? And he comes to find out, he goes, oh, we were really getting ready for the next one. The coaches just didn't need to call that. And I felt like, and and Drew said, that's when a, a light bulb went off in his head. Yeah, He's like, okay, you do save some stuff. You have to have it all. You have to have all of that in there. Uh, and that was uh, very interesting. I, I thought it was a great comment on not how Texas – Players are necessarily overlooking the game ahead of them, um, but how the team itself prepares for the long haul in the preseason. I got last question of the day from Steve Booth, and we talked about, you know, at the beginning, some of the teams that stood out. But Steve wants to know what three teams look the best to y'all this last weekend. Who are your top three? That's a tough call. I mean, I didn't get to watch everybody. I mean, I, I didn't watch Michigan versus East Carolina. Yeah. But Michigan's very, very good. Um, I, I thought, you know, Ohio State's taken some some flack. They did play a power five opponent on the road with a new quarterback and a bunch of new parts on offense. So, um, I, I not Ohio State. I, I agree with that person. I don't think they look like a top three team. But I do think they actually started against a real opponent on the road. So see how they go as season moves along. But I like Michigan over them. I, you know, I saw some of Washington. I think the guy's a fantastic coach. He's got his quarterback back. He's got a lot of good parts. 
I think they were looking for very good. It's hard to argue against FSU right now that they had to be one of the mm-hmm. top three most impressive teams, Bobby. I mean, they played a real – even though it was a home game in Orlando, they played a team with a bunch of NFL draft picks with a turning quarterback, with a coach that's been to two college football playoffs, at least maybe three. Uh, but it's hard to it's hard to not put FSU at the top of that. doesn't mean they're a the number one team in the country, uh, but it's hard to not put them at the top of the list after week one, them or, them or Washington. I'm just thinking about it by conference, kind of outside of the Big 12. Um, Pac-12, you would say USC probably, right? Yeah. Or, or Washington. Or Washington. Yeah. I think it's okay. up in the air. You, those two teams uh, have just whitewashed the team. Uh, USC has whitewashed two teams now. Washington just won. Um, Big 10, you would have to say, I mean, I don't know that anybody looked overwhelming. Maybe Penn State. But not, you know, they're not favored to win that a conference. The ACC, you definitely say FSU. North Carolina had a good win against South Carolina, they did. right? They did. Yeah. Um, and then in the SEC, I mean, Georgia didn't look great under Mike Bobo, the new offensive coordinator there. They did not score a lot of points. I would say Bama and A&M. But, and here's the thing. Yeah, New Mexico is 2-10. and 10. I don't think New Mexico is very good. But Clemson plays at Duke tonight. Let's see. Um, let's see how that goes. I mean, uh, you know, let's see what Clemson looks like. Even though it's Duke, they're still on the road. They're not playing Christian Leitner, but it's still a road game. Hey, um, Sam, Sam in the chat says Utah, and that's who I was going to go with. Oh, they, yeah. They that's a good one. Florida. Yeah, I mean, see what Florida looks like the rest of the way. Uh, but Utah winning tw- that game without Cam Rising, it's impressive. Uh, by the way, the Pac-12 is, what, 13 at, 12 and 13 and 0 thus far this season? Best conference really? so far. Yeah. First time that's happened in a long time for a conference. AM at Miami this week, it'll be an interesting game. I think they were the only conference that went undefeated this Yes, they season. were. Yes, they were. I think AM's going to beat the you know what out of Miami. They're, AM's on a little bit of a revenge tour, and Connor Wegman is now the quarterback there. And Petrino has his, yeah, as long yeah. as they don't have issues there, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll I see. mean, no, no offense to Haynes King, who was the starter for much of the year for AM, but. He's not Connor Wegman. Connor Wegman's an NFL quarterback, in my opinion. So, and Miami's quarterback has a busted finger, uh, and they're worried about that this weekend too. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of On Texas Football today. Coffee and football, the Labor Day version. Uh, We want to thank John Donovan of Longhorn Wealth Management. We want to thank Homefield Apparel, both of them, for sponsoring today's show. Bobby. Real quick, why don't you tell everybody what's on the plate for the rest of today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at 12 o'clock today, we're going to release uh, lunch with the coach. Myself and Brian Irwin, the former two-time state championship high school coach, uh, is going to talk a little bit about the defense. He wants to talk uh, a lot about Quinn Ewers and, and what he saw there uh, and point some things out, uh, as well as Texas is on fourth down. Uh, and then later today, Jerry and Rod Babers get together in their weekly segment called Talking Ball. Uh, guys, I, I think it's going to be entertaining as well as informative as well. Uh, obviously, also, we have uh, On Texas Football is a partner with InsideTexas.com. Uh, Inside Texas is your source for daily and almost hourly recruiting and team news. Uh, go to InsideTexas.com. Use promo code OTFIT23. So On Texas Football IT23. Get two months for just $1 uh, this week or this month. Uh, for that promo. 
and you can't beat that deal. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. Ring the bell so you can be notified anytime we post a new video. And then, as Bobby said, head on over to InsideTexas.com for all the latest in Longhorn coverage. And uh, thank you for everybody for tuning in. Thank you to all of our Super Chats. And again, to John Donovan of Longhorn Wealth Management and Homefield Apparel. And that's going to do it for this, this episode. So for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. Everybody grill and chill this weekend. <laughs>